Hi, we're Ellen Taylor, and we're here to join you on your journey from pregnancy to birth, postpartum, and beyond. Here on the podcast, you'll get interviews with birth and parenting professionals, birth stories, and educational episodes to get you feeling confident, supported, and empowered on your journey to and through parenting. Welcome to Birth Reimagined. Hi, I'm Elle Kennedy, a birth photographer and doula based in Orange County, California, and I use she, her pronouns. Hi, I am Dr. Taylor Garcia, a doctor of chiropractic also based in Orange County, and I also use she, her pronouns. Today, we are talking to Dr. Katarina Rigali about the importance of crawling. Kat, welcome to Birth Reimagined. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. So Kat, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? I am a chiropractor in Los Angeles County, and I have a focus in family practice at the moment. And I would like to, in the future, work more with uh, brain injuries and neurological development. So Kat, what is about birth that's always lit your fire? What are you most passionate about? So I love the connection between the mom and the baby. We know that the baby can hear the mom's voice in the womb. And we have found that in the third trimester that the baby can start to respond to mom's voice. We see that the heart rate increases, they become more alert. And that starts to carry over as they um, grow up. And I think that part is the really the coolest thing to see the personality start to develop and how much that impacts their future development. Oh, I love it. Um, so one of the things we really wanted to talk about today was crawling. So why is crawling important in a child's development? Crawling is really important for their development. That's where all of your cross-core coordination starts. That's where we start to develop the ability to walk, to run, to jump. It develops the brain. There's so many, so many things that happen. So once the crawling begins, we also see that the baby's balance starts. It develops the motor system. It develops the vestibular system which is your sense of balance. And it develops the muscles and the joints of the body. So as they start to crawl, they start to obviously get stronger, but it also changes the structure of the hips and the shoulders, and it develops their stability. Um, there's quite a lot that happens throughout the body as they start to crawl. So is there a reason a child might skip the crawl phase? There's a, quite a few reasons why they might skip the crawl phase. Uh, sometimes it's because they have spent too much time maybe in a seated position. If they're in those uh, exerciser things where they have them seated straight up, they don't have enough time to start developing that ability to crawl and move around. So sometimes that can make them skip that crawl phase. Other times... It's just that they lack the options and the motivation to. Um, and typically, those kids will either develop it later on or they'll just immediately jump into walking. Yeah, I know I've seen um, some of my other friends have worried about second children in particular skipping the crawl phase because they see older siblings and at playdates, you know, older kids running and walking and so they want to join in and they try to skip that crawling phase and so the parents trying to be like nope you gotta crawl like come on we gotta <laughs> work on this skill first that's actually really good to encourage them to actually do the crawling that's going to be so important 
Yeah. So what are the effects of a child skipping the crawling phase? There's quite a few different things that happen, Mm -hmm. but one thing that we know is that crawling integrates both sides of the brain. So if they miss that step, they may have a harder time learning to read. They may have a harder time picking up on language. Their hand-eye coordination may not be as good. Uh, Some studies have found that those kids who skip the crawling phase might have a harder time to grasp a pencil, learn to write, and sometimes they have slower problem-solving skills. As a kid crawls around, they learn to navigate their environment more. And, you know, you see those little kids and they try to crawl through something or a roadblock is in their way and they'll just sit there and cry, you know. These kids, as they crawl, they learn those problem-solving skills. They go, oh, let me go around this obstacle. Let me figure out a way to develop this. So obviously a kid will still learn these things, but they'll get a head start if they've already started crawling. Has there been any connection with uh, skipping the crawl phase and like hyperactivity or like ADHD type um, behavior? I'm not sure if there's a one-to-one correlation, but we do know that in those children, that if we start to develop cross-motor skills, if we have them running and developing those different things, that it does come back and actually help them to control the hyperactivity, to control anxiety, control whatever issues that they're dealing with. So I, I personally don't know if it causes it, but we do know that it for sure will help them to manage their symptoms. So I asked that because someone I know, um, her son skipped the crawl phase and is just so energetic and a little out of control, mm-hmm. it seems, but it's just he's so excited for everything. He always wants to move and move and move. And I was kind of wondering if maybe there's a connection between the two since um, she kind of talks about how him skipping the crawl phase was such a big shock to them. Um, so I was kind of wondering if that was just if there was some sort of connection between those two. That's really interesting. I, I'm not familiar with it being directly correlated, but it might be something worthwhile for her to look into spending more time with games that would um, start that child to do cross-core coordination, hand-eye coordination, any sports. I mean, aside from wearing out the kid and giving that energy an outlet, um, it would help develop that kind of that brain control. She did try to put him in baseball right before COVID hit and then COVID hit. So (laughs) he was like in baseball. Yeah. He was like in baseball for like less than a month and he wasn't really paying attention. He was just running the bases. I had the opportunity to work with a uh, doctor who specialized in head trauma and he, he was an ophthalmologist. And one thing that we would do is work with kids who had ADHD, had learning disabilities, had various other kind of school issues. And the key focus that we would do is actually just work on cross-body coordination. We would set up something on the wall and have them with the you know left hand point to the letter A, and then with your right foot tap on the floor and you know alternate them, have them track certain things. Um, he was, you know, his office was really cool. So he had some TVs that were touchscreen and they had specific games, but I kind of like the low tech stuff. (laughs) So what are some ways that parents can help their kids at home? Um, You know, regardless of what age they are, if they skip that crawl phase, it could still be affecting them. Um, So what are some things that, you know, we could potentially be helping our kids with at home? That's a really good question. Depending on their age, if they're really little, then you can really start them over with tummy time, have them play, have them move around as they start to age. 
just like what we were talking about, some sports, running, anything that causes you to, let's say, cross your right arm over your body, um, reaching for objects. Uh, what I do in my clinic with, I have a few kids ranging from, I think what the youngest I'm working with is four up to about 16. And we have them do a competition of, uh, I'll write a bunch of stuff on a, a whiteboard and I'll have them point with a single finger and I'll call it out randomly. And then they have to do certain, you know, crawl on the floor, jump up and down, you know, just different fun activities. And they like to compete with each other. So it makes it fun for them and try to keep it fresh so they don't get too bored. <laughs> so things I'm thinking of as a parent is like um, w- along the sidewalk out in front of your house, each square having a different activity, like spinning in a circle or touching your toes or jumping like a frog or like doing different motions. That's awesome. Um, or like I know when I was a kid, we'd go to the playground and we'd create like we turn the playground into like an obstacle course. And so we'd be like, okay, you have to go across the monkey bars and then you have to climb up the slide and then you have to go down, you know, this other thing. And like, I mean, if you can come up with stuff like that, that your kids can do in your backyard or at your local playground or things like that, that are, that are getting them to use all their different limbs in different ways, that seems to be like a big part of it. Absolutely. What we do with adults as well, we don't, just treat kids for this. Uh, There's a specific style of treatment called dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, or DNS for short. I personally don't use it too much, although it's really, really good. What we do is they'll assess how somebody moves. And as we go through their dysfunctions and their pains and maybe some lack of motion in different joints like the hips and the shoulders, then we'll start them back through that crawling phase. I only don't use it because I have a hard time telling a grown man, okay, lay on your back and, you know, do tummy time or go or on your stomach and do tummy time or go on your back and touch your toes like a happy baby and crawl and roll over. But it's so, so good. And we've seen it work really well for helping people. I wonder if that's why yoga works so well for so many adults is because you are involving, you know, all of those same joints and muscles and you're doing all of these poses and things that you don't do in normal everyday life. Mm -hmm. And it's slow and controlled and methodical. Yeah. Like at what other point during your day are you in any kind of inversion? True. (laughs) (laughs) Would like a TheraBand with dead bug be something probably useful for older like children and adults, you think? So to let our audience know, dead bug is a um, physical therapy exercise where you lie on your back, you have your legs and arms straight in the air, and then you like will move your one arm over the head, and then the opposite leg will go down, or you'll move them closer together. Um, it's kind of very, I mean, the name dead bug is very appropriate. You look <laughs> like a dead bug. But a netheraband is a sort of elasticy plastic that provides resistance. So dead bug is often used for core but, I mean, in this kind of context, that, again, that, you know, arm, uh, one arm versus the other leg motion would be the, um, the therapy itself. Bird dogs are also really good for the same thing. All right. I didn't, I didn't even think bird dog of that one. Yeah, so bird dog is you're on all fours, and, again, it's one arm forward, one leg back. And that's, again, usually based for a core exercise because you have to become a tripod in balance. But, again, for uh, the cross crawl and the, the cross mechanics, it'd be for that concept. 
I remember when Charlotte was, I think she was about eight months or so old when we first started her in my gym, which is like, you know, little kids gymnastics. Um, but they didn't, it, you know, for that age group, obviously they're not doing somersaults. They're not doing like crazy stuff. Um, but I remember one of the teachers talking about, you know, if your kid has skipped the crawling phase, you'll want to do like certain, some of these activities. They kind of encourage the kids during free play to do certain activities. And one of them was like this ladder that they had along the wall and encouraging the kids to climb the ladder because they get that cross body movement of one leg and one hand going together and then the other leg and the other hand going together. That's awesome. You can do that on the floor and mimic um, a ladder that way and have them almost do a bear crawl, too, if you were afraid of having them go up and down a wall, maybe. Oh, yeah. Bear crawls would be great for that. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it'd be fun and fresh for them, too. Yeah, and you can choose any animal, not just a bear. You can choose their favorite animal. You're a horse. You're a cat. You're a deer. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, turn it into a game. Have them, you know have to bear crawl across the floor to pick up, you know, a crumpled up piece of paper and then bat it back across the room and like get it into a goal or something like that. Like turn it into a game. If you make it fun for kids, they will, they will want to do it all day, every day. Uh, Kat, so for like, for little kids, um, you said, like mentioned like tummy time and kind of encouraging the crawl. Mm It's something that parents can sort of do as a manual manipulation, like, you know, moving one arm versus one leg that they can do with the kids on their back. I remember reading that somewhere and I want to see if you know what I'm talking about. Um, I don't, but what you can do is, you know, if they are on tummy time and you want them to start developing that is put their toys near them and then they'll start to want to reach for it and they'll start to move around towards that. If you put them on their back, you can play with them, hold things up in the air above them. Um, of course, Moving their arms and legs around will always help with that, that joint development and all that. But as to what you're referencing, I'm not thinking of anything specific. I think it was it was a class, and I think they were referring to like a child with cerebral palsy, um, oh. and then just getting the motion in the joints and getting that cross crawl motion of like you know basically one one parent had had the hands, one parent had the feet, and they were literally just moving the arms and legs in a crawl pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that might have been what it was referring to was a was a cerebral palsy that they were trying to rehab. That would be a really awesome thing to do because you really want to focus on getting motion through those joints in a kid who hasn't been developing those. Um, even though they may not be able to move around on their own as readily, it will help them later on when they want to reach for something, when they want to eat. One of the cool things that we see with crawling too is it, it helps to develop your breathing ability. Um, as that kid is crawling, they have to engage their core so that their back and their belly doesn't sway to the floor, right? So as they do that, as they reach for things that lengthens and strengthens the rib cage, but they have to control their breathing. So later on, that will help them while they're eating, while they're doing other things to be able to breathe and regulate that, that breathing. It's something that we deal with, with adults all the time, that they don't breathe appropriately. And we do take them back pretty much, I guess, to that crawling phase. I hadn't thought of it that way, but we'll start from the beginning. Stabilize your core, get into these positions, let your rib cage settle, let your hips settle in the right spot, take super deep breaths, now start reaching out for something, 
And really, we are mimicking that those beginning stages of crawling. So in kids who have cerebral palsy, something that we would want to do is focus on helping them to breathe better as well. So it doesn't directly answer your question, but that's (laughs) just a little correlation I saw here. That's super fascinating, as like especially for me. So Teddy was born with a heart condition and had open heart surgery at four days old. And because of that, um, they had a series trip on for about three months. Um, so they missed out on a lot of that early tummy time. And because they weren't allowed to do it, they couldn't they couldn't do tummy time as long as that series trip was on because they weren't you know, they wanted to make sure everything healed properly before Teddy was allowed to do that. So we had to do modified versions of tummy time. So basically, um, any kind of Teddy being on my chest upright and me leaning back, even just at a 45 degree angle can still count as a variation of tummy time for kids who have special needs or who are not able to do completely flat prone tummy time um but if you do have a kid who's like that I would definitely say check in with your occupational therapist or your physical therapist um and find out what their recommendations are for modified versions of that but there are definitely you know there's a ton of ways to to do tummy time with kids or to do you know to get those crawling motions and get those cross-body coordination things going depending on each kid's needs did that change watching how the milestones are hit with your kid or did that really did did your child really catch up to those milestones and really hit them at a good pace um they they actually caught up quite quickly um so teddy had occupational therapy and physical therapy check-ins until they were 18 months old and then they graduated and they had hit all of their markers by that age um, the early check-ins, obviously they, they weren't hitting them just because they, they couldn't. If you can't do prone tummy time, you're not going to hit some of those markers. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, Teddy caught up so quickly and like nowadays you would never, Teddy's about to turn five and, and you would never know unless you saw Teddy without a shirt on that Teddy had any problems at all. They're on the petite side, but other than that, like. They've hit all their milestones since then, like at or before when you would expect to see them. Um, But I I also do think that a big part of that is Teddy has a big sister. Teddy wants to do what all the big kids are doing and doesn't want to be left behind. Um, So Teddy was very, very motivated um, to hit all of those. The one thing um, that occupational therapy really had us working on was Teddy had this tendency to close their fists around their thumbs and hold them really tight. And so they were more worried about fine motor skills and getting those thumb joints to open up and not have restricted movement in those thumbs. So that was more of, of um, Teddy's personal quirk. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, that really speaks to how much we set up these mile markers for kids and how we say, oh, they, by this month, this they should achieve this and this. But honestly, kids will develop the way that they're meant to. And most of the time, even if they don't hit it at that perfect time, they're still going to develop. They're still going to become the full little person that they are. And all of these games, all of these 
physical activities, the socializing with older siblings, all these things will really help them to catch up. So even if they do miss those little moments, they'll still have more than enough ability. And like you said, you know, occupational therapy, physical therapy, these other people can really help the kid to achieve those goals. That's yeah, really cool. Absolutely. Would any sort of aquatic exercises be good also for cross-crawl type things? It's just me just sw- swimming in general. <laughs> Most definitely. I mean, even, even a doggy paddle has some motion like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't swim at all, so I know nothing about water, to be honest. <laughs> but yes. You're breaking Taylor's heart right now. <laughs> I almost drowned when I was a kid. I never got over it. Okay, that's understandable. Aww. That is perfectly understandable. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so were there any other things that you guys wanted to touch on? I actually had a bit I did want to talk about, but I was nervous and I didn't, so. Oh, no, go for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One of the really cool things about skin-on-skin time that happens when, you know, the baby first comes out is that the baby is going to start getting all of these benefits from mom, but mom's getting a ton of benefit from the baby as well. One thing that blew my mind was that skin-on-skin contact, especially in those early months, really reduces the risk of postpartum depression. There's a lot of studies currently being done on this to determine whether it's the most effective in premature babies or in full-term infants. And it, you know, it doesn't matter if it's mom or if it's dad necessarily. That child is getting so much benefit. We see, I think the thing that I think is the absolute coolest is while the baby's in the womb, they, they don't have any ability to regulate their temperature. They're really getting that from mom. So when mom puts the baby on the breast, the breast will start to, I guess, gauge where the baby's temperature is at and start to warm or cool the baby to put them at the optimal temperature. That's why all they really need is the little diaper and the snuggle and they're good to go. When they really get that connection with their parent, they will start to have more weight gain. It lets them absorb nutrients better. We see there's less crying. There's more stable heartbeat and breathing. They have better oxygen levels. And in long term, there's a really big impact on how well their brain develops and how well they actually socially function. There was some studies done, and I think this started um, after the Great Wars when there was a lot of war infants. And there was a lot of kids who never had an opportunity to be held. And they noticed that these kids didn't necessarily develop at the same pace as their counterparts who had parents and they wouldn't connect to family as well. They wouldn't perform as well in school. And we still see that today. Babies that go into incubators who don't get held as much, they don't develop quite as fast as their counterparts do. So some places have an entire focus on just sending someone into NICU units to put some hands on these kids. And it just, it's amazing what happens with these, just that simple touch. It blows my mind that it's so simple. So much of that happens with the birth community is expensive or hard to access. And this is something so easy for the most part, you know, aside from any sort of traumatic incident or something along those lines, but something just as simple as skin on skin contact makes a huge difference. And Mm -hmm. 
the when we are not in the middle of covid go volunteer to be a baby snuggler yes so much fun teddy was in the hospital for two and a half weeks and um when they were in so they had to be in the cardiac NICU before their open heart surgery and then they were in the cardiac wing after and they would have volunteers come in just to snuggle babies like that's what they do they come in they get to snuggle their baby for like you know whatever the whatever baby they're assigned to for like an hour or so and then you know that's their volunteer shift and like the the results are astounding just that additional physical contact and like I know some of you listening are going to be like well their parents should be there snuggling like why isn't their parent there 24 7 and let me tell you like Teddy was there for two and a half weeks I physically could not be in that hospital 24 7 I had a two-year-old at home and emotionally I was going through so much myself like this was all extremely traumatic for me too so I would be there during the day and I would go home at night because I couldn't, I just couldn't be in that space 24-7. It wasn't good for me. Um, and and I know that there's other families who, you know, sometimes they have kids who have to go to the hospital and they can't be off of work for extended periods of time. Or they can't, you know, they've got other kids at home that they have to take care of, especially if they're a single parent or things like that. So if you have the option in your life to volunteer to be a baby snuggler, do it all of the baby snugglers that I talked to absolutely loved it they were just like this is the best part of my week is just coming here and getting to cuddle on the newborns like get to cuddle these little babies they love it that sounds like so much fun right you admit and they don't have to change the diapers or anything (laughs) all they have it's it is you come in you get your baby you get to hold them if they need a diaper change the nurses take care of it they just get all the good stuff (laughs) You had mentioned, Kat, about that initial skin-on-skin contact or just skin-on-skin contact in general helping decrease, like, postpartum depression. Not as it just, like, the, the heat and the weight of the baby, but it's also hormones are apparently being released from the baby's head that help with bonding, which is why they encourage um, families who have multiple children to hold, have the siblings hold the baby because it encourages that bonding with their new sibling. Absolutely. What we see is that when you have the baby skin on skin, the oxytocin levels increase and that helps reduce your blood pressure, reduces your stress levels. And what you're actually seeing is that you're starting to return back to your pre-pregnancy hormone levels. And you're also increasing your ability to breastfeed, which will be yet another point of connection between the mom and the baby as well. That oxytocin glow, (laughs) y'all. Like, for real though, that newborn smell, oh man. (laughs) And it's that smell, that actual like scent is that bond, is that bonding pheromone, yeah. Yeah. We're all just animals in the end, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) One thing I've noticed with COVID with my clients coming in is how important touch really is. And it's not just for babies. It's not just for kids. Just like you were saying, the the, the snugglers who go in to hold those babies yeah. are having such a good time too. And, it, you know, I, I felt so bad. I had a few patients come in throughout this time and I really focus on just putting non-aggressive, normal hand touches on people when they're in my clinic. And I would just put my hand on their shoulder and say, how are you? They would just break down bawling. You know, and it was just that simple touch 
Yeah. <laughs> I would panic initially. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong? Are you okay? And they're just this and this happened. My life is this way. And, you know, set them up on the table. Okay, talk to me. And just that simple touch really could bring so much healing to their life. And it's not that I had answers to any of their problems or that I was even offering them. It was just a kind ear listening and a touch that was non-threatening and comforting. Yeah, we had that in our clinic too. It's just, it's like, this is the highlight of my week and you're the only person I even see nowadays. And um, how we have our clinic set up is kind of like an open room for like heating pads and people be like just talking and chatting. Yeah, there's the social distancing, but it's like, oh my gosh. And they're just chatting up a storm because it's like, this is like the only person they've seen besides family, you know? So yeah, this COVID has been kind of tough with that isolation part of it and how it's been affecting everyone mentally. And even before COVID, I've, you know, I've read about studies that they've done um, with like geriatric patients if they are not living with family and they're living in like nursing homes or assisted living homes and things like that a lot of them are they're not getting as much physical touch as they need to thrive and that's one of the things it's one of the simple things that as soon as it was brought back into their life you know if they're in an assisted living home and they have you know a caretaker of some kind who helps them with certain things and they have that physical touch contact as opposed to somebody who doesn't need as much help physically and so may not get that physical contact, they may go downhill quicker. Even though they don't need the assistance, they still need that physical touch. Um, so, you know, if you have family members that you haven't been able to see for a while, get your vaccines so that you can go see your family members, give them hugs. Like everybody's talking about, I just want to hug everybody. Yeah. There's a reason for that. There's a reason you're craving that right now. And there are members of our society who are lacking that on a normal basis, even when we're not in COVID times. So, you know, how can we meet those needs now? And how can we continue to meet those needs even after, you know, we quote unquote, go back to normal? That makes me think it would be quite interesting if we could find a way to get retirement age people to come in and be the snugglers. Actually, a lot of the people who were coming in to be the snugglers were like, you know, oh, you know, I don't get to see my grandkids as much as I like because they don't live near me. So I come in and snuggle the babies instead and like things like that. I love that. It's so important for both people. I mean, it's such yeah. a part of our innate nature. I've actually seen a few videos about um, preschools yeah. that have opened up inside of senior centers. I want to say like Sweden or amazing. Norway or something like that. That's so yeah, cute. there's a there's a few of them and it's amazing because these kids bond with these seniors and like these seniors this is the light of their day of their week when these kids come in and you know the they get some of that physical touch and reciprocity from kids because kids have no boundaries. <laughs> they will just walk right up to you. They'll put your their hand on on your lap or in your hand. They'll come up and hug you, things like that. But the the older generation is also teaching the kids to slow down. They're teaching them how to sit still and listen as they read them a book or how to sit quietly in color and not just be balls of chaotic energy all the time. <laughs> so they're both getting so much out of these interactions. And, 
Yeah, I love it. I wish we did more stuff like that here because it's awesome. And there's so many, you know, there's so many people who would benefit from stuff like that. Absolutely. Let's get it done. <laughs> post COVID. So, Kat, what is your dream for the birth community? I would really love for access to care to be more open to the individual. It's hard for women to feel comfortable to see doulas or to do natural birth. And in some cases, they're not really even there. Maybe their doctors or their families aren't open to it. So they will tell them, oh, don't do that. It, may, it might not be safe. It might be dangerous. And I think that birth is so special. It's so unique. It's, it's you know, it's it's a wonderful thing that happens. And I think that mom should have the ability to choose how she wants the experience to happen. And through that, hopefully reverse, reduced birth cost. I, it blows my mind how much it costs. So really, my dream would be that it would be a much more easy process for mom to be able to get what kind of birthing community and situation that she wants, and that the education and communication really improves across the field. So that way, it's not only mom having that desire to maybe go the natural route, but that the family's involved and the family is also comfortable and educated on it. That would be amazing. Um, we we mentioned in the previous recording that we feel like that there actually has been a rise of natural birth, like people wanting to have natural birth because Netflix put out a movie that shows a worst case scenario. And it's like, you can tell when things are you know getting popular because Hollywood has to, you know, <laughs> show the scary side of it or something. It was... I don't know what they're thinking. I have noticed that quite a bit, that the natural birth is coming back around. But I also think that some of that is that we recognize that women have been able to give birth, you know, in the middle of a river or in the jungle. You know, it, it doesn't require all of the craziness of the hospital. Although, of course, complications would arise and we do need the doctors and we need that stability in the healthcare system. But I think we understand that that isn't necessarily the most natural way to go. Yeah, a lot of, um, as a birth worker, myself and a lot of my birth worker friends have noticed a pretty sharp uptick of home births and birth center births, um, especially this past year, um, likely because of all of the COVID restrictions, a lot of the hospitals right away, they weren't even allowing partners to join the birthing person in the hospital room for delivery. Um, and that did open back up, you know, after a month or two. Um, but even now they're continuing to not allow extra support people like doulas, birth photographers, you know, additional family members, anything like that um, are still either very, very limited or not allowed at all in some places. Um, and so a lot of birthing people were looking at that situation and going, well, my options are I go to the hospital and I only have my partner with me or I do a home birth and I can have whoever I want because it's my house. You know, I can, I can have the birth that I, the birth support that I want just in a different setting. Um, and provided you are low risk, there is no increased risk 
to having a birth at home or at a birthing center as opposed to a hospital. If you are high risk, yes, absolutely have the birth at the hospital. That is the safest place for you and for your baby. Um, but if you're a low risk pregnancy, look at your options, figure out what makes sense for you. So Kat, what is one thing you will do for yourself this coming week? During COVID, I really took the chance to start cooking a lot. Nice. So I love to make things from scratch. I'm a pretty, uh, I guess a simple cook in that way. Only thing I refuse to do is pasta. I will not roll pasta. (laughs) I'm buying that, but the rest of it I'm willing to make. Um, I've been making a lot of different Asian food. And so what I'm going to do for myself this week is I'm going to make some good spicy seafood udon soup. I made a version, a Korean version of it recently, but felt like I could have done better. So I'm going to make that for myself and have a nice meal and hopefully get to share it with a few people. Nice. So Kat, where can we find you and connect with you? I am only on Facebook at the moment. Um, My professional page is Regali Chiropractic, and I also have a personal page. That's just my name, Katerina Regali. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us on Birth Reimagined. It was so great to have you. Thank you for having me. It was really fun to talk to you guys. And for our listeners, we'll see you next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us here on Birth Reimagined. If you'd like to join our Facebook community, you can find us there at Birth Reimagined Family. And if you'd like to join our email list, you can get the link to that on the show notes for this episode. Being a member of our email list gets you access to all our freebies and makes sure you're kept in the loop whenever a new episode drops or we have anything exciting to share. Thanks again and see you next time.